Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. We like that. All in one place for totally free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your cellular telephone or your computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else, those other places that podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&As and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free. Zero catch. We've been using it ever since we started How Long Gone. And ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like having the option of turning off the Q&As and the polls on the user dashboard (laughs) has really helped uh, boost my creativity and take it to another level. I highly recommend giving it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hola. Hola. Hello, TJ. Hello. It's me, TJ. Oh, man. I wondered who I was calling. Um, <laughs> really nice to talk to you, big dog. How you feeling? Go for it, TJ. Um, I tell you what, I am I'm sizzling here in Glendale. It is hot. Bitch, don't rub it in. I don't it's, even want to hear this bullshit. It is so... It's been in, it's been in the mid... 90s all week i hope you catch corona honestly with this shit (laughs) with the shit you're with the shit you're spewing at me you deserve it it's been it's been a little tough adjusting to the heat but we're getting there i've you know just trying you know it's been hard to try to figure out like what what time of the day is the best for tanning and stuff like that like is it 11 30 is it 12 30 it's so but how's uh, Montreal? Is it still ha- uh, ha- still hailing, or what's good? Uh, um. Oh my God! If I could, I, you know, I want to kill you through the phone, Soldier Boy voice. Um, <laughs> no, nah, it's it's it, it's fine. I mean, luckily, like I said, you you guys are trying, but I'm still going to come out of this hotter than anybody else. So Whoa. a little, a little. A little tan I can go get. Like, that ain't a big deal. I can pay somebody to come spray me in two weeks if I need it, you know? Yeah, Soldier Boy voice, I can get somebody to come spray you, too. Also, speaking, what if... What if, uh, what if Chris Brown did a remix called Kill You Through the Phone? <laughs> That'd be fine. We should sell that to him right now. That, that We can't be giving this gold away for he's, free, he's, Playboy. How many times do you think he's threatened to kill somebody over the phone? Oh, thousands, countless, <laughs> countless times, countless times. And, you know, and that's, that's coming from a Team Breezy podcast, too. Imagine what. This is not, bitch. Bitch, first of all, this is not, we do not fuck with Chris Brown at all on this side. He is trash. Breezy, His gra- baby. <laughs> You're trash for even singing that. Mm hmm. What do you do? Are you eating? Fuck, what are you doing? No, I'm just having a little cold brew, and I just we just finished eating some some bomb fish burritos. So Whoa. you know it's it's a it's a hot Cali day. So we picked up some chips and guac, some some nice. We we did a little shrimp and scallop burrito, 
wash it down with a cold brewski, go for a bike ride later. It's been a, it's been tough. Wow. Well, today, what did I do? I woke up. My body felt awful from pushing myself too hard yesterday. Mm. Um, I've been testing out running at night for a story I'm doing. So I went out last night in, in the streets uh, after dark. It was pretty interesting. Did you did you bring a whistle or or pepper spray or anything? Bitch, I got I got two hands, okay, and that's all you need. That, that's all I need out here. You think these French Canadians are gonna come at me? They see big American man. They ain't, they ain't, they ain't fucking with me, dog. They ain't coming at me. Big American um, man. But yeah, so and but after I did I did a tough workout in the morning and ran at night. It's just I, my body was feeling too. I was hurting today. That's a big two up. a day for you. I know, and it wasn't even that serious of a run, but I, I just, dude, I'm just fucked up. I'm killing myself out here. You yeah, know what I mean? There have been, I, I've, I've, I've been doing a little bit of the same. Um, where the workout probably was not as intense as yours was, but the fact that it's, I'm doing it in 96 degrees. Yeah, yeah, that makes is, it, that makes it hard. It's making me at least feel as if I'm working harder. Like I felt like I was going to puke a couple times, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is good." That's fire. That's mm-hmm. fire. That's 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 literally drugs. Um, I on my on my non-run days, I'm really getting into some classic. Like I'm doing 300 push-ups, 300 Whoa. 300 squats, and 300 sit-ups. 300 push-ups. Damn. Well, I split them up into into 20. So I do 20 push-ups. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I do five sets, all different styles. So diamond, wide, classic, inverted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, whatever and, you uh, need, dog, I got you. Decline. Yeah, whatever you need. I'm on the corner. Like, what you need. So you're doing um, So you're doing decline, you're doing incline, you're doing triangles, you're doing, you're doing pretty much every, everything but a one arm, more or less. Yeah, I could probably do a one arm. I can do the clap pretty easily. I could do like ten of those, but the one arm's tough because I'm just I'm left handed. I'm it really leans that way. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I my, my 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 right side, I could use some some work. You're non um, non dominant hand exactly. But then after that, I pull the I pull the band out. You know what I'm saying? I, mm-hmm. I got fifty pound. I got fifty pounds in the band. Wrap <laughs> that around a pole, and we're doing we're doing a bunch of shit there too. We're doing flies. We're doing back shit. We're doing curls. We're doing kickbacks. Like, you know what I mean? Back in the day, you only used to pull a band out when it was time to get the bag. Yeah. You, hell yeah. You've <laughs> seen it, TJ. TJ knows, TJ knows that Chris used to keep that big racks on it. <laughs> big racks. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it still sucks. Quarantine still sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 uh, I started reading, um, the Sam McFeeders book uh, about punk, and it's really interesting. I really like it so far. Um, I'm not familiar with it. Just like the history Sam of Mc- punk? Sam McFeeders of Born Against fame. Oh. Um, a, a prolific punk writer, like, you know, but he, it just came out pretty recently, and it's just kind of essays, but the, there's an amazing one about Green Day that, that really had me chuckling. Um, uh, was it painting? Billy Joe and the boys in a positive light or a not so positive uh, light? It was more just like they had a song about the, the founder of uh, Gilman Street dying of cancer after they were like multimillionaires. <laughs> and he's just mm. like, are you guys serious? Are you guys serious? Like you have, <laughs> you, 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 have, you have five records out and you're going to sell a hundred like, like diamond. And you're talking about some guy who died of cancer at 50. It's just like, mm. it's an, inter- it's an interesting story. But also, I mean, I just think that like, it's a, it, I don't know. It's good so far. That's I really like, like uh, it. That's the punk version of having white guilt, I guess. Yeah, a hundred percent. But it's interesting so far, and I, I just think this is a subject that's kind of hard to read about because it's so. And that's kind of what he says. There's so many. 
like strains mm. and different like sub 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 genres that it's really tough to find like a, an appropriate and he he left the scene completely in 2004 so it focuses on like same you, you know yeah same <laughs> but it focuses on uh, uh you know stuff that i remember pretty vividly especially when it gets into like the the like late 90s mm. you know early 2000s I need to tell I was, my, my norcal crust bros about about this new piece of literature yeah, tell them to take their Tesla down to to, to City Lights books, <laughs> and they can they can comp now. Now that they're millionaires from some startup, they they, they got in on early. I would I would also uh, recommend the book, a different book from a different member of Born Against, um, Brooks Headley from Superiority Burger. His his cookbook from a few years ago called Fancy Desserts. Yeah. Um, I'm a big one yeah. of my favorite cookbooks. Really? That good? I bang, I bang hard with Superiority Burger. That's a, that's a, just a few blocks away. I go once a week, probably. Did you just say Superiority Burger? Burger? <laughs> I, I did baby talk for you because I think you're feeling a little brain dead. Uh, um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, but the, I check out that that book. I, I've never, I haven't cooked a single thing out of the book. It's all about how he makes these crazy, intricate, fancy desserts. But like all the stories of of growing up and being in the band and touring. There's some good photos and shit. And he's a he's a funny writer. So you know, it's odd for me to recommend a book. Period. So it just well, we know you. Get, well, it's a picture book, so I, I mean, I think that makes sense. Like recipes are pretty short and kind of like bulleted lists, so I feel like you can probably get through that. <laughs> Whereas like a book with like words and chapters and stuff is probably harder for you. And the and the pictures are bomb. Good. I picks. love bomb. I, I love bomby pics. That's cool. <laughs> bomby pics. Um. All right. Well, I guess it's time to call our guest. Uh, not to not to shorten the best part of the show. Um, mm-hmm, that's fun. But we're we're once again crossing the bloody pond, mate. Mm. Um, to talk to superstar playwright and uh, writer uh, Jeremy O'Harris, um, who is I don't actually know why he's in London, but he's in London. Um, and uh, I reckon we'll check- find out. I'm gonna yeah, we're gonna find out, see what he's been up to during the quarantine. I feel like he's got a lot of work happening, because um, his career was kind of exploding as all this shit happened. I, if you're familiar with Slave Play and all the great press it got, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I would like to see, you know, I don't really know any playwrights, TJ. I don't know about you, bro, but those aren't the circles I run in, really. Speak for yourself, um, sweetheart. Yeah, right. There's no first of all, there's no playwrights in Los Angeles. That's for sure. <laughs> a, a city, a city so warm that it's killed off all culture. Um, there's a couple local houses on Santa Monica. <laughs> I think you're thinking of UB, UBC, which is close. <laughs> that's, that's a different guy. Um, all right, <laughs> let me let me give him a call. <laughs> hey there, overwhelmed foodies! Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Say goodbye to swiping left on lackluster meals and swipe right for the one brand that will make your taste buds swoon. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions Speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, I like to chop myself, or quick microwave meals that are assembled in minutes, Home Chef has you and your entire family covered for delicious meals, witty options per week, 
and serves a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. I'm keto now. Not only is it convenient, but it is also economical. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Mamma mia. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners, our listeners, 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert faux life at homechef.com slash how long. That's homechef.com slash how long for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash how long must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. <laughs> how Long Gone is brought to you by Nutrafol. As you know, you know, hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh-oh. And internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead, give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step <laughs> to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long? All one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> Dot com promo code how long. That's Nutrafol.com promo code how long. How long gone is brought to you by our dear friends at BetterHelp, Jason. BetterHelp. You know, the summer travel season is coming up. Luckily, my BetterHelp therapist also fancies themselves a bit of a travel agent. So for maybe the first half of our sweet sessions, we were spent off, obviously off clock going through, you know, hotels, ferries, <laughs> car rentals, restaurant recommendations. It's as if I have two wives. I have two wives inside of me. and uh, yeah, Sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, it, it is a fun way to find and connect different therapists. You get one that you really like. You guys are gossiping. You guys are chit-chatting. You guys are talking about your personal interests. Next thing you know, it's time to actually do the work. So it feels good building those uh, mental health relationships with people you actually like. And on BetterHelp, there are... So many different therapists to choose from. I don't like anyone. If you're thinking of starting <laughs> therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash how long today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash how long. Nice. How are you living, King? I'm okay. I was just you caught me. Um, I was I was just now playing uh, some Civ. Civ Civ the band? No, no, the game Civilization. Oh, I was about to say if you know about Civ, you're going to blow my fucking mind. Um, no, I mean I don't. I genuinely that sounds deeply uh, white. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I was good. I was trying to find like a less uh, aggressive way of saying it, but yeah. It's okay. I mean, we we're the, Jason and I are both very familiar with who we are and what we are. Um, yeah, wait, are you guys not going to show your faces? 
No, you don't have to show your face either. We usually don't. But if you want to, okay. I, I don't mind looking at this kerchief look. Okay. I'll, yeah, no, I don't mind. I don't mind. I actually feel it'll make me feel less crazy. Do you have AirPods in? No. I don't, Could you? I, yeah, I fucked up. I, my, <laughs> I, my uh, headphones, I lost the charger to in New York. I mean, in, um, in uh, London. So you're a quarantine with no headphones? Yep. Wow, go off. It'll be fine. He sounds okay, right, Jason? Yeah, you sound good. Okay. Um, so what the fuck's going on? Why are you in London to begin with? Um, I'm in London because I was supposed to be having my UK premiere. Like, my first play mm. was supposed to be happening in London right now. So did you get... So so obviously that didn't happen, but were you stuck there or did you choose to stay? Yeah, I chose to stay mainly because I was like... I was like... They're, like why? Like at the, at the height of it all, I was like, why would I get on an airplane when everyone can, like, when everyone who probably has been exposed to it is jumping on an airplane, going back to just expose all their friends and family to more corona? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it wasn't like I was like, like my my um, director was like in a real rush to get back because like she has a partner and like family and all this other stuff and like not to say i don't have family or a partner but like she has a partner she likes it. <laughs> she, she really likes her partner and her family so she needs to get back i'm on the fence about whereas, whereas your partner is uh, take it or leave it take it or leave the situation <laughs> well my partner actually has a really bad asthma so Ooh. it's like he's one of those people that could die if you get corona um so i was gonna be like well yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to rush back and give him Corona, especially because I was at Fashion Week and I was like pretty sure I had it at the time. Um, I think and- I think Fashion Week brought it back to New York 100%. I think that's how it got to New York. Oh, absolutely. I know like I, I know for a fact that um, no one wants to say this, but I'm going to out it. The Mimi party was a huge source of the outbreak. So you're saying, so you're saying the Prada group is directly responsible for Corona coming to New York? Is it, a, is it an mean, Italian thing? What is why? Why Mew Mew specifically? Well, because I know 17 people who were at that party and they all got Corona. First of all, How flex. Um, <laughs> second of all, you. How many people? 17. 17. Damn, bro. I'm glad I didn't get my invite. Yeah. And yeah, so, I, I almost walked that show, but I chose not to last minute. <laughs> Good oh, thing. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have seen you in one of those gowns, but alas. <laughs> you have to you have to wait till this thing blows over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did this did the did the did the premiere get moved back or is it on a schedule at all now or what's I the mean, deal? I think it's one of those things where it's like every you know how everyone is sort of like guys like everything's gonna get back to normal as soon as like the world's like you know as soon as we we are done with this whole like shelter in place thing but I think the real tea is that nothing's gonna be back to normal and um, most of the things that got canceled are just gonna be canceled just forever yeah so I think that my play will happen in London at some point later but also like when like you know, thousands of people are dying, and especially in our country when thousands of those people are black. I'm like, I think my dumb little play is like the least of anyone's concerns. Well, don't so, say that. I mean, because anyone could say that about whatever it is they're doing with their life, and that you know. I mean, I think they. I think everyone should, though. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, well, have okay, all learned that- from this quarantine that we all have 
you know, these little dumbass lives that aren't really doing that that much of a big deal. Even if you are, you know, creating a play off Broadway that is, you know, world renowned. It's still <laughs> well, I mean, it was still small potatoes. Like, this was sort of going to be the redo of the play in New York. I don't know if you guys saw Daddy, but Daddy Oh, um, it's Daddy. Okay, okay, I didn't yeah. realize it was Daddy. I didn't see I did not see it, but I'm familiar with your work to an extent. Well, Daddy was so fun. It was like the first play I ever wrote, and it was like sort of. It came out like Hari Neff was in it. You know, we all love Hari. Mm-hmm. We do. Um, F- former former guest of this podcast. I-, I know. That's why I brought her up. I mean, she's like a favorite guest um, in general to have. An, and it was, she was she was actually in London when I was first here, and so we had like a really great Kiki at the top of quarantine. But, so, um, you guys, so you guys both have okay, great. So you you gave her you gave her Corona, and then she went back to New York. I see what. Oh happened. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that Hari and I both wanted Corona because at the beginning <laughs> it felt like there was that a tracks. real opportunity to be like the first celebrity of whatever stripe to have it. Like <laughs> I'm the first. <laughs> you would have gotten a lot of great press out of that. That's true. Right? Honestly, that, that was an opportunity. So I, I I would talk to your team about that because that was a missed opportunity. I know. Actually, I now want to say, I think I should just come out and be like, I am someone who did not get Corona and I was at the Mew Mew party. So um, now that's that. That's how you differentiate yourself now. I see. I see. Yeah. So so it was you were going to you were doing daddy in London. Yeah. And like, you know, me and the director are, you know, the director is Donnie Tamor. She's amazing. And, you know, unfortunately, daddy got screwed over by the like the hyper excitement of slave play right like you're saying slave play got all the all the press and daddy was forgotten well no so slave play came out first (laughs) slave play came out in like um in november and like uh, and it got like the like like really like hyperbolically crazy reviews like in a positive way and yeah um, we get it we get it bro you're fucking popping we get it okay (laughs) we get it okay No, but then, like, literally, like, two weeks later, you know, while I'm still in grad school, another play comes out. And I think everyone was still sort of like, yeah, we really like that other thing, so we want to keep focusing on that. Um, yeah. Because this is a lot. And so I think that, like, that coupled with the fact that, like, you know, me and my director had two and a half weeks to produce a play that takes place around an infinity pool. Um, <laughs> and all the pressure that was around that. Meant that, like, you know, we, there were a lot of things we wanted to attempt again in order to make sure the play got a fair shake. Mm. And um, it sucks because, like, all the things we really wanted were happening at the height of, like, um, the corona fever here. And um, we were like, no, they can't possibly cancel our show. I mean, we've made the perfect version of it. And everyone's <laughs> like, hey, we're not canceling. This is London. <laughs> we don't cancel theater. And um, then it was canceled. So I think... <laughs> I say all that to say, I think at some point the play will probably come back because people really like the play. But I'm also not holding my breath because, like, something unprecedented happened, which is that, like, the theater community that didn't even shut down for the Black Plague, like, shut down for coronavirus. What is so, your – I was going to I was gonna ask you this. Like, what is your invol- – did you set out to do theater or did you get into this, like, almost by accident? Mm, it's, like, both and – you know? Okay. Fair. Okay. Um, great. Great. Great answer. That's the new <laughs> yes and. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that anyone. I think that most people I really respect in almost any industry, unless they are like a tech bro, like <laughs> that kind of accidentally on purpose ended up in their career. You know, it was sort of like oh, like growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I was like hyper articulate and. 
um, was a good student, but um, I didn't. But I also had like a lot of anxiety issues and like was crazy. And the only place I felt not crazy was when I was acting in a play. Mm. So you were and, so you were acting in high school and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was like the actor in high school. I can, like, I, was, I, I, I could see that for you. Where did you grow up? In Virginia, in like a small town in Virginia. So I was like a big fish in a really small pond. I love in it. In a really I, white pond. It, well, my, my private school was really white. Yeah, like my private school was literally invented so that rich white kids didn't have to go to integrated high schools. Damn, that's some real, you know, as a Southern man myself, I recognize behavior like that. Wait, what? Where in the South did you grow up, Chris? Atlanta, baby. Come oh, on. Atlanta. Oh, my yeah. God. You think did this you flavor see- is free? Like, I <laughs> I earned this shit. Bro, come on. Yeah, did you see that, um, did you see that crazy thing on um, A Girl Has No President the other day? No. Where... Um, well, basically, someone in Georgia called the. Um, they were like, "Oh, since we're opening everything up, let's call. I'm going to call and schedule a tour for the governor." Oh yes, mansion. yes, yes, yeah. And they were like, "Hell no, we're not giving you a tour of the governor's mansion." <laughs> there's, there's a there's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that shit is so good. I did see that. It was so funny. I didn't. Uh, did you? So did you go to college to do theater, or did you just do it in addition to what you were already doing? Well, no. So I decided. I made a real decision that I was going to go to a conservatory like I was like I because this kind of school I went to you had to apply to all the fancy schools yeah and then um I was like well I'm going to secretly apply to drama schools and if I get in that means I can be an actor like I'm not just a big fish in a small pond and I did get in and so I decided to like go for it full force um but I was a fucking freak like you know I was six foot five I had really long hair I was like obviously a faggot, and I only like doing like experimental explorations of like classic text. So everyone was like, "Who?" Is this? I mean, that doesn't sound like inroads to like making money, but it sounds like a cool thing to do, like when you're on drugs and like twenty. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, right, and well, I was I mean, also the kid that wasn't on drugs until the end of my freshman year, which was like the biggest waste. Like I'm imagining like what my life would have been like as an actor if I had like done acid not at the last like not the last week of school, but the first week. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it would have been next level. That could have changed the course of your life. I agree. That's what drugs do. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if they you, do. Whenever all the stars align, it can really set you off on a different path. You know. Where well, did I you feel like all the kids I know from Atlanta are really druggy. <laughs> well, um, I'm I'm I've been sober for three years, so oh, for real? Um, I can tell you that that is 100 percent true. Uh, <laughs> when I started coming to New York all the time when I was younger, I thought just everybody did coke all the time, and they're like, nah, like nah, maybe not on Monday night, you know. And then <laughs> and then and then I would find out from like bands and people I knew that traveled all the time that Atlanta was like known as like a party city. What what is yeah. it about Atlanta that has you guys geeking so hard? We're on I ninety five, baby. We're we're cocaine cowboys. You take that shit straight up. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Did you go to high school? Did you go to one of the fancier high schools, or did you go to like? A oh hell no, no, no! I went to a regular suburban high school that had a shooting when I was in eleventh grade, and I dropped out. Like I did not go to. I didn't go to Tommy Dorfman school, if that's what you're asking. You know what I'm well, saying? No, I mean, <laughs> so Tommy Dorfman, another crackhead from that era. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but my boyfriend went to the international school in Atlanta, like the fancy international school. And like all of his friends have like a uh, trust fund. Not all of them. I, if one of them is going to hear this and be like, I don't have a trust fund. Did you ever think I have a trust fund? But um, <laughs> the stories I hear um, and the friends, some of the friends I've met, I'm just like, whoa, like. 
Um, he's from, he went to the high school that had a lot of Atlanta money. So I'm always trying to suss out who went to what schools. I unfortunately am not part of that, but I did flirt with that later in my, I discovered that later on before I moved to New York. You know what I mean? But like, that was like, uh, it's Southern shit like that is so weird. Cause it's like really not chic. You know what no. I mean? It's like it's like rich people. A lot of places can be cool. In the South, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, my the rich people at my school like were like one of the girls was like super rich because her dad owned every Sheets on the East Coast. Sheets, you know Sheets, the gas station. Oh, oh, <laughs> yes, I yes I do. Okay, I, yeah. I was so like, like, damn. Like, like, I knew people who were rich like that. And I was like, that's like dumb. Like that's just like a dumb reason to be rich. That's how you. That's how. That's how real people get money, bro. You got to own some funny shit, some some weird <laughs> consumer product is how you get rich. Like if you're not if you're not doing real estate or or drugs or uh, finance, it's got to be some weird consumer product. Yeah, I mean, I truly, I still to this day, it boggles my mind. Um, then there was like a guy like um, who whose mom was like the second richest woman in all of Virginia. Because they inherited um, the the Hamlet plantations, um, which is where we had our graduation party. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's a lot. So, so did you? Where did you go after Virginia? Did you? You didn't go to? You went to somewhere before Yale, right? Yeah, I went to I went to college in Chicago. So, oh, I went okay, to the okay. Theater school at DePaul University. Okay, where, okay. Um, Jillian Anderson and John C. Riley went to mm. acting school. I love that. I love some Midwestern acting. You know, that's yeah. really. Did you like Chicago? I love Chicago. I mean, Chicago was fucking so cold. It was the coldest place I've ever been in my entire life. It's extreme. Um, but uh, it was, it was, I mean, the cool thing about Chicago is that when I, so I, I'm just going to skip to the end of this, of my first year at drama school. Cause I, the, the, the big story of Jeremy is that I dropped out of college and I dropped out after um, my second year because in my first year I got cut from the drama school because I was fucking weird. And then um, the next year, I became a poetry major in the English department, but I started um, acting in the city. And I, and I quit because I was getting so much work. And the thing I love about Chicago is that unlike New York, um, you can actually get a lot of work as like a young, maybe not even great artist, um, because there's so many opportunities for artists at, to like fail publicly um in Chicago and I, really I didn't I didn't that. know I didn't know that like at all levels or like yeah I mean I think across the board I think that there's like I think that what you get there is like like because everyone knows that they'll be able to find a space to like put their show up or like present their art there's less ambition I think overall which I think in some ways fuel like there's less competition and ambition which I think fuels some of the like um transgressive experimentation that you see on the on, in New York but um, as far as, like, being able to get your 10,000 hours or whatever, mm-hmm. you get that and then some in Chicago. Interesting. I, I mean, I do know that there's, I mean, historically, it's, you know, there's been a lot of creative stuff that thrives there. So I imagine there is a reason for it. Um, but I just, I just don't fuck with the Midwest. I don't like the vibe. Everybody's, like, fat and boring. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of fat, boring um, <laughs> Uh, energy there. Um, <laughs> but I think that, like, growing up in the South, I was used to fat, boring energy, so Good I point. didn't really mind. Honey, you know? I'm home. Good point. Yeah, honey, I'm home. Give me a big squeeze. Uh, <laughs> so, did you, so you, so when did you, so how long did you stay in Chicago? I stayed in Chicago, um, from 18 to 21. And then I, on a whim, I moved to LA. 
to work or just for, to live life? Yeah. Well, because I was in a play with someone who got cast on a pilot and th- that got picked up a series. And I was like, oh, if he can do that, I can do that, obviously. And then I moved to Chicago with $1,500 in my pocket and like no, or not Chicago, to LA with $1,500 in my pocket with like no sense um, of like what real estate was like in, in LA, where to live in LA or anything. I just sort of like got Damn, a wallpaper guy. <laughs> What? Did you end up? Did you end up in Marina del Rey? Don't tell me that. <laughs> oh, I ended up. I ended up in West LA slash um, Santa Monica, and I worked at the Santa Monica Barney's and Barney's Co-op in, in the oh, Third Street Promenade. Now, now we're cooking with gas. Oh, that, that's, okay. What yeah. a great, what a great job. What a time. What department were you crazy. in? Um, I will. So the, the co-op is just the co-op. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But then, but then I moved to the Beverly Hills. Um, uh, I moved to Beverly Hills. Barney's like later and I got to work in women's dresses. So that was like women's designer, Mm -hmm. which was like really, that was where I thrived. I thrived there and selling men co-op denim. Like I was, I can sell men clothes better than like almost anyone because I have this weird um, dog, like dog whistle for straight men. (laughs) Like like we just like buy. Well, I mean, we're vibing right now, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's real. We're recording this ha- this dog whistle happening as we speak. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Um. Yeah. You got both of us sitting up and ready to beg. <laughs> <laughs> what is? That? What did you have any celeb customers at Barney's? Though that's the question. Who was your clientele? Um, I did have some celebs, but like no, no one that was like major. Like the woman who was like from the Egyptians. You know that band? Yes, 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 yes. She shopped with me. Um, a lot of stylists shopped with me, but like it was like again that that time in my life is such a haze because I was a full like I was having a mental breakdown because I like I had never failed at anything in my entire life, and I got cut from this drama school that I wanted to go to so badly. Mm-hmm. And my promise to myself was like, if you get cut from drama school, you'll graduate college as an English major and just go to law school. But when I saw that the people that got cut weren't necessarily the worst actors to me, I realized that, like, the entire business was subjective in a way that, like, I hadn't computed for. I was just sort of like, um, because I'd always gotten what I wanted intellectually and academically, I was like, oh, like, um, things like my race, my height, my gender expression won't stop me from, like, going to the heights of this business, too. And then I it did, and so I had this, it was like I... um uh, sort of, yeah, I, I, I really, the world went upside down for me for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was when I started like drinking and like partying and like going to clubs a lot and like started, started getting my self worth through those sorts of relationships. So like in the club space, I mean, I will tell you that I, I became really good friends with Lindsay Lohan for a while. Oh my God. Okay. Well, that's, a, this is a whole separate podcast, but what, go ahead. Uh, what, what clubs are you going to? Like what era are we do you talking? Remember, do you remember Paul and Andre's? Oh, of course. I, yeah, I DJed I was like, there many a time. Jason, I was, well, I, you probably saw me there. I was like, the, like they, so Paul and, um, God, who's the guy that ran the door there? Um, I can't remember, but they really, they really fell for me for a short time. And <laughs> they would just like give me alcohol to like honeypot girls over. And because I was, I, I get along with straight guys so well, 
the guys would come over and then the girls would be there and then we'd just hang out all night and then I'd end up at someone's house or end up in some crazy situation. And so, so you that were, was my you were kind of like a fixer. You were a, you were a, a Ghislaine, as it were. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> did, did, um, what was your look at the time? Oh God, it was so chaotic. I was just... <laughs> Um, I like I I was really into like shopping vintage and um matching that was like weird shit I'd find at Urban Outfitters because again like I grew up poor so like I had to like figure out how to fake um style um or fi- I had to I had to use style to fake like mm-hmm. you know being upper class or something and it vaguely worked because in LA no <laughs> one has style it's true it's 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 completely devoid of style i and, mean it and really also is. during that era everyone like lohan was wearing vintage as much as as you know a homeless guy like everyone was doing vintage everything exactly and i remember when i became buddies with her it was a that was a really wild time for her because i she was saying she was sober but she obviously wasn't we love a we love a vodka in the water bottle, Lohan. Yeah, I, we would, I would do I would do parties at that place, and when Lohan would come, we would bring her six Crystal Geyser water bottles filled with straight vodka. Exactly. And, and do you remember? Good. Wait, were you there the night? If you Google this, um, <laughs> like, let me think. Let me think of what to Paul and Andres, Lindsay Lohan, um, fight. Um, you, you will find you'll see a picture of me with her. You'll see the back of my head. Well, um, who is fighting? Lindsay Lohan got into a fight with some girl who she was like, "That bitch is taking pictures of me," and she would say that all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> like, "No, she's not taking pictures of you." And she was like, "She is. She's fucking taking pictures of me." And then at one point, she jumped up, <laughs> grabbed the girl, pulled her phone out of her hand, ran to the bathroom, threw it in the bathroom, um, in the toilet, and came back and the girl was like, where's my phone? And she was like, go fishing, bitch, and then pushed the girl again. <laughs> that's then, fire. Wow, that's poetic. Yeah, and then she went to the um, DJ booth and started playing songs off of her iPod, or off, her, off of her um, iPhone. Ooh. Oh, my. Oh, God. See, what a I, terror. I mean, you were talking about Kiki's earlier. I miss Kiki's, but now I really miss just, like, this club bullshit, you know? <laughs> At the time, yeah. it was just a stupid thing, and now it... I'm reminiscing about those times so much. Like, does that shit even happen anymore? I was at, like, when I was in Paris for Fashion Week, like, there was this sort of like, um, there was a model party at like a strip club that everyone was like, we have to go there. And I went and it was like kind of fun, but it felt like everyone was like, um, cosplaying chaotic mm-hmm. or cosplaying yeah. like the night. No, it, do- it doesn't exist anymore because people are either too concerned with image or too concerned with their health. There's yes. no like you can't just. I mean, Paul and Andre, you could do coke in the open. I mean, it was you yeah. could smoke cigs and do coke in the open. That's exactly what any club needs to be cool. Yes. But yeah. unfortunately, everyone is just too tame now. And and back in the you know we kind of were part of the last generation where people were really getting messy as hell in the club with without really any consequences. And now, you know, yeah, like I went to a strip club party. It was like a a, a, twi- a FKA Twigs party. And it was like every cool, hot, weirdo, artist person in L.A. in one room. And they're just kind of standing around looking at a stripper like no one's doing any wild shit. No one's puking. No one's getting no one's fighting. Like everyone's a fucking loser now. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I, I just feel blessed. I just feel blessed to live through the good times. You know what I mean? That's how I have to look at it. We it's, barely made know. it out alive. We did barely. But, I, but I'm also now like in retrospect because I think that's 
part of the reason why some of my plays feel different than other people's plays is because like that's the those are the experiences I'm pulling from. Yeah, and for sure. I've been thinking a lot about like those forty year olds and thirty year old dudes that were like hanging out with me at these parties. And I'm just like, what like now that I'm thirty, I'm like the last place I want to be is a club kind of. And I'm just like, what, what is your, what was that lifestyle for them? Like, what were they going home and waking up the next day thinking about, you know? Well, as they're trying to get their dick sucked by 19 year olds. Exactly. (laughs) I was about to say, there's two reasons that people go to the club. I say it all the time. It's for sex or for drugs. And if you're not doing one of those, then you have no reason to be out. Yeah. And and if you're 30 and you, you've, you're successful and you got a man, you don't need to be at the club. It's like, what are you, what's, what's happening? Unless you're like really into break dancing or something. You (laughs) have no business. (laughs) I mean, I do like hearing, I don't, I miss hearing hip hop in that setting because that to me is the best judge of, of, of music in some ways. Yes. Uh, I do, I do miss that. But otherwise, I could never go to a club again. Well, no one plays hip hop in the club anymore. Everyone wants to hear like, like bad, like, you know, EDM, not even Uh, EDM. House. Yeah. House music. And I'm like, I don't want that. Me neither, bro. That's not my pleasure space. Speak for yourself, bitches. Speak for yourself. (laughs) It is not my pleasure space either. That's a great way. That's a great way to put it. So you're telling me you went from Paul and Andres with Lindsay Lohan to Connecticut? Yeah. <laughs> there was like a weird break. I mean, I worked for a, a a shady art dealer in the sense that he wasn't an art dealer at all. Um he was a <laughs> dealer, I think. But um he owned an art gallery and um he hired me to like plan events for him and um none of them ever really came to fruition, but it was like I was a part of his big front. And during that time, I met um, I met Isabella Summers, who's in a band called Florence and the Machine. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I started hanging out with those girls a lot, and they I went on tour with them, and I like, hung out a bunch. And oh, I, I didn't I didn't know this about you. I didn't know yeah. this at all. Did you were you working on tour? Or you just went and hung out. I just went and hung out, and I was sort of and 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 that was when I was and, like a lot of people know me from that time and are kind of like oh you were that weird dude who was homeless and just hanging out with them and I'm like yeah sort of um I was more than that but, um, I am I am more than that yeah this yeah, is this of. has a very almost famous feel like I'm not just a groupie okay <laughs> exactly but, um, but the entire time I was like writing and like reading a bunch and it was like I got this chance to like um sort of have my years of rest and relaxation um <laughs> During that journey, Isa and Florence both were like, yo, like, you have too much potential to, like, not be doing anything, so you should, like, figure your life out. So I moved back home to Virginia, and then I started writing. Mm-hmm. Were you living at home? Yeah, I was living at home a bit. And then I went back to L.A. at the very end and um, worked at a donut shop in, in Highland Park called Donut Friend. Oh, I'm and familiar. Then, across, yeah. across the street from Joy. Yeah, on yours. Yeah. It's, uh, it's owned. That's owned by a former music producer. Like a, he did a bunch of like pop punk records and stuff. I've yes. met him before. And, and he and I had the same birthday. Oh, it was meant to be. Clearly, yeah, yeah. So um, I worked there, and then um, I got in. I got into this festival, and then I got into this um, this festival for plays that was like hard to get into. And um, I lost the festival, but I got all this confidence. And then I went to the McDowell, um, the, the McDowell residency, which is in yeah, New Hampshire. I'm familiar with that, actually. Yes. Yeah. And um, that was where I really found my voice as a writer and was told I should go to grad school. 
I see. Okay, so that was the push you needed, and then you you apply. How does it work to apply? Do you have to send them? Is it based on work mostly? Yeah, so you send them a play um, and, like, this letter, this weird letter about what you want to do while you're there. And um, I think I got really lucky because the woman that ran the program was leaving that year. And her name was um, Jeannie O'Hare. And I think Jeannie and the woman that was going to be her interim chair, um, Jennifer Kiger, who – Jennifer um, is the, art, uh, the literary manager of, um, of the Yale Rep. So she's not used to finding – plays that need work she finds plays that can be produced so they both were like let's just blow up this program and let in three playwrights who have plays that are already ready and are a little different than our normal um group and so they brought in like three playwrights that were the first class of three boys and um i was a part of that chaotic class and i feel like if they weren't ready to blow the school up a little bit then like i wouldn't have gotten in but it's a it's a very prestigious program right yeah, oh, 100%. Um, and, like, the writers that had been there under Jeannie's um, rule were so amazingly talented and, like, from, and, like, they were grown-ups in a real way, but they had all come from, like, um, really weird places. So it made sense that we would be her last class because we were, like, we were real angry chaos agents. Mm, mm, I love that. I, I, you know, I personally have always wondered this because I'm pretty familiar with most of the entertainment business as far as like movies and TV and music um, plays I'm not as familiar with. And I, I, I just need to know how you make money. Like, how does it work? Like how, how do you get rich from plays? Um, so generally you don't. It's, <laughs> that's, um, that's, that, that's what I thought, but that's how I wanted to hear more from a professional. But, but I think that's true of like most, um, most luxury industries, right? Like how do you get famous? I mean, how do you get rich being like a fashion designer or a jewelry designer? Like mm-hmm. generally like most. You got to license your name to a perfume, baby. That's the only <laughs> thing. You know? But most people don't do it, right? Like a lot of true. people that we know who do these things, um, in the luxury world don't ever, um, make any money and there are a couple at the top whose names we all know who do and so i theater is a luxury brand and it's like not really and it's not a luxury brand that's like um uh, attached to like um most spaces of craftsmanship like if you're if you're a designer and like can't get your personal line off you can still be like a pretty well, a well compensated designer for a bigger brand like for sure for sure you know, even like a club monaco right um, but I, like, for, <laughs> but, but for theater, I mean, generally the way you would make any sort of living is if you ended up writing for television. And I knew I didn't want to do that. I see. So theater is the, I, it's the experimental record to get you noticed. And then you, you do something else basically to make money. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and most people, um, the thing that most people do is tap into their, um, trust fund. So how how many like uh, on average? What would you guess? Like how many plays a year are would be considered like financially very successful? Um, How many? (laughs) Yeah, is it like is it like five or is it ten or is it? I mean, yeah, I think it's like like ten to fifteen plays are financially successful in a year. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, and and I'm sure someone's going to be listening to this and be like, actually, he's wrong. If you look at American (laughs) Theater Magazine, like list of plays that are, but. I think that, like, you know, so the ways that what happens is um, if you do a play, I'm going to give you, like, the full um, financial breakdown. Play by play Please by do. play. A play by play. <laughs> so, play like slave play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, that premiered at New York Theater Workshop. For that, when that play premieres, a play that I worked on for two years, um, that play, uh, the, the, I got $10,000 to do that play at the theater. Um, that's how much money you get for the play. Like, like you're saying 10,000 and how long is it running? It's running for two months. So that's it. So two years of work gets you 10 racks. Yes. But then if it like, if you get extended, you get like, you know, 0.9% of like, or 9% of like the box office or something. Mm -hmm. So then that, so then that means that the play ends up getting, um, I don't know, like, you end up getting like fifteen hundred, fifteen thousand dollars. Let's say like fifteen thousand dollars is how much you're going to make from that. Um, but then, oh, and it's upstairs. But then after that, um, you get um, after that you get uh, the option, the chance for your play to be licensed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which means that other theaters um, will do it. So a company like Samuel Friend will um, look at your play and its popularity, its reviews, and guess. How many other theaters in the country might want to do that play after you? After it's been premiered. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And um, you're so not like, and you're not at that point, you're not involved anymore. If it gets licensed, it's just like there's people directing in the shit in Idaho and running it with their actors and their whole shit. Yes, but like um the, one of the reasons people like to be a playwright is that like unlike being a screenwriter, you get to have ownership of the thing you've done forever. I see what you're saying. So, so if I wanted to show up in Idaho and sit in on rehearsals, I get to. You know? Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I didn't realize like, that at all. I probably would, but like, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so that's that's how. So, if your play is just an off-Broadway play. That's what you're looking at, and so usually you'll get an advance based on what they project your licensee will be. So I see. Premiere, they were going to give me an advance of fifteen thousand dollars because they were like, "You wrote a play called Slave Play. It has eight characters in it." Um, it got really good reviews, but it's also a fucking weird play that has a lot of sex in it. No one's going to want to do that. And I was still in grad school, so I was sort of, sort of like, oh, I'm not going to sign my thingy yet. Like, I'm not, I don't want to sign anything until I figure things out. Um, then Broadway happened. So if your play is a play that's lucky, like, that's lucky enough to get to Broadway, um, what happens is you get a $45,000 or $35,000 advance for your play going up on Broadway, which is a huge life-changing amount of money, right? Um, for in some ways, um, especially <laughs> for generally, a play getting produced only gets you ten thousand dollars. For sure, it's a big increase. For sure. Um, and then, um, given how long your run is, um, you, you every week your play um, that your play runs on Broadway, um, you're you're making like five percent, I think, of of the box office for okay. a seat theater. And so at a certain point, um, once you've reached $35,000, you start making actual money on top of that. So for Slave Play, because of how our ticket sales were going, I was making about 15 to 20 grand a week. Ooh, for- let's go, baby. Now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. So like, um, but again, I'm very lucky. Like, I mean, like this year there were eight new plays on Broadway and um, who knows how many of them were financially successful. Um, or, and, and also like everyone has a different kind of deal, you know? Of course. Yeah. Um, and, and the actors and the, that, that, that's like not your concern. That's all. Yeah. Obviously I'm, this money's going straight into your pocket. The, the theater's dealing with everything else. Exactly. And now my advance for the play is significantly higher, right? Like the advance yeah, for play play licensing is so much higher because everyone's like, well, it was on Broadway, it did well, like we could do it. So now that advance is like, um, 
closer to 80,000. Um, and so, um, that money is the money that I've ostensibly made from Slave Play, having not sold film rights or anything else for it. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, Slave Play obviously got a lot of attention, but I mean, I imagine that also eventually reflects your bank account because a lot of opportunity comes from it. Yeah. And so, you know, something that I'm in a very privileged position with is that like, because I lived in LA for so long and knew so many people in the industry of film and television, um, I have like these crazy film and TV deals that I don't think would have been able to, I would have gotten had I not been like a crackhead in LA for seven years. Being a, well, I, I wish Jason, Jason's been a crackhead in LA for like 15 years and he still doesn't have any deals yet. So I don't know what he's, I don't know, I don't know what the fuck he did wrong, but he should, you guys can talk off podcasts about that because he needs some help. Um, did, did, but, the, but you're saying the film and TV rights to slave play, you haven't sold. There's no plan for that or you just haven't found the right deal yet. No, I mean, it's called Slave Play for a reason. You know, it's a play. And okay. so a lot, I mean, even when it was off-Broadway, people were like, I think this could be a TV show or I think this could be a movie. And that's not really where my interests are. So you're saying you would rather do some, do different stuff in the film and TV space than try to, like, retrofit Slave Play into that? Yes, yes. So Makes if somebody sense. was like, here's $10 million for Slave Movie, do you want it, yes or no? <laughs> Um, I probably wouldn't do it. I mean, I think that, um, for me, it's like, Good for you. I, I feel really freed knowing that I grew up poor. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not really afraid to be poor again. It's just sort of like, um, if you, if you go back to the bottom, you know that you can survive, you know how to jug. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> I'd rather just like my integrity as long as possible. And like, if I met an artist, like, you know, if someone like Paul Thomas Anderson was like, I love slave play, this is how I would turn it into a movie, and it like aligns with all of my sensibilities, I'd be like, oh, great, let's do it. Mm-hmm. But right now, I haven't had that moment. Makes sense. I mean, no, it's good to, yeah, there's no reason so to do it. If Aquafina you... wants to do it, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> if what? If, if, if Aquafina I... calls you wanting to do it, it's, it's not, it's not going to be sweet for her. <laughs> Aquafina might have a take on it that blows me away. That's like, a good point. I mean, there, there are probably only like three people in the industry that I'm like no bueno with. <laughs> and like Aquafina's not one of them. I'm like into uh, Well, let's go ahead and get that list of the three people if you don't mind. <laughs> go ahead. Do you start from the top or you start from the bottom? We don't care. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like on the spot it's hard to name them. You're like, uh, but it's like, I mean, I, I mean, one really easy one is Brian Singer wouldn't be at the top <laughs> of my list. Yeah, that's fair. That's okay. a given. You know? That's sure. What about Weinstein? You like Weinstein? He does some good stuff. <laughs> Is he yeah, still you, alive? I thought he died, right? <laughs> you ever heard of a little company called Miramax? He they, got, might, they might be interested. He he will probably get suicided soon, but I think he's still yeah. alive. For now. Yeah. You still have a chance to do your deal is what we're saying. There's still time. I mean, uh, who knows? Well, are you – so what What are you doing in film and TV? And is it interesting to you or is it something you're doing for the check? Well, again, I feel like I um, – I made a good, a really great amount of money from uh, working on Slave Play. Um, we know we've seen you. We've seen you copping gear. We know. We know. <laughs> no, so like I, mean, I feel like I got really lucky in the sense that I got to say yes to only things I wanted to work on. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I'm working on is a um, is, is a sci-fi film called The New World. I actually just got off a call about it, and um, that's an adaptation of this graphic novel by Ailish Coast that I really, really, really like. 
Um, and that would be my chance to like show people that like I'm a real sci-fi freak. Mm. Um, There's just so many twists and turns with you. I tell you what. Yeah, I mean, we'll I'm really see. we're really peeling back this onion today. I tell I, I, <laughs> my eyes are watering. <laughs> well, I have to I have to pull it off first. We'll, That's true. Good point. That. Is it? Um, was this something that you wanted to adapt, or you were approached to adapt? I was approached to adapt it, and then when I read it, I was like, "Oh, I absolutely love this." That's um, cool. And so I said yes, and then I have my deal with HBO, and um, HBO um, wants me to adapt my thesis play about Yale into a, a, a like a TV show. So um, mm. I'm doing that, and then there's a TV show. Um, with an Oscar winner that I'm doing this year um, that is secret. So um, I'm going to hold on to that for a bit. And then another um, person I'm making a horror movie for. Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay, so the A24 horror movie coming soon. Got it. Um, <laughs> uh, A24 is going to be really hurt when they hear that because they are not doing it. Ah! <laughs> uh, that sounds like a lot of work. Fam, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't, I find it, um, I think that's how the business works, though, is you have to have a lot of irons in the fire. And that's, and when you're hot, you're hot, you got to strike. And I understand that. But does that, is it creatively, is it all different enough to where you feel like you're able to dedicate enough time and like mind share to it all? Yeah. I mean, I think that like the hardest thing for me is that I had never, but when I was saying yes to all this stuff, I wasn't, um, it, I was saying yes to a lot of the things before I knew Broadway was happening. Right. Oh, I see. I see. So I had like multiple things lined up for postgraduate. So I would have like a year of work after I graduated grad school and then, um, slave play happened. So, um, a lot of things, the, the hardest thing for me is that I want to put my attention and my passion fully and deeply into whatever I'm doing at the time. Yeah. Um, and so there, there was one project that I was working on that I'm still working on, but that I wasn't working on fast enough for the production company. Um, because this year was, so, I mean, my grandfather died. I graduated grad school and it, from it, like I started grad school homeless, left grad school, being able to figure out what I wanted to do in the world, um, it, where I wanted to live in the world in like a very freeing way. Um, and then my grandpa died, and then I was going to Broadway. And so, um, having to juggle um, having a real life and also the fact that writing this thing I love doing had become an, a job made that project more difficult to maintain. Um, but I think now that Broadway's over and I'm able to, um, to like situate my passions, um, around like a schedule that's more free, um, it feels really good. But I, yeah, think, I bet. but I don't think it'll ever be easy because I don't think anyone teaches, especially a young writer, how to have a job as a writer. You know, in the true. in the sense in the sense of like what that entails on a day to day basis and like the the kind of like discipline you need to have. Yeah, I mean, especially because like you know, um, in film and television, it's an industry where you're beholden to um, so many other people. So many other people are beholden to you to like allow them to do their jobs. Sure. So if you decide, like, if I was writing a novel and I got like, and I got excited about another idea for two short stories. I could just set my novel aside and start working on those short stories. Um, but like, you know, the other day I was, listening, I was listening to the Fiona Apple album and I came up with this idea for a play and I started writing it. And then I was like, Oh, Jeremy, if you put yourself inside of this play, 
then your HBO outline is going to be late or your um, mm. your Warner Brothers outline mm. is going to be late. And then I can't do – so I don't – I'm still trying to figure out how to manage all of those things. It, it sounds like, like it's not as fun anymore. <laughs> well i mean i also think it's like when i when i it's easiest to for me to compare it to you know music because that's the thing i understand the most so it's like if you're making an album you at least have your four other bandmates or producer or whoever to lean on this sounds like a pretty solo kind of endeavor yes yes and, and also and, i mean i have a question like when you're making an album if you decide like, you know, if you're in the midst of album making mode and like someone's someone's still waiting for the album to come out if you're with a major label, right? You're, for sure. Like, like February's the due date. What happens if you get a call from like, you know, Dua Lipa and she's like, yo, I want you in the studio for like two weeks. So that's great idea for us to work on. Well, depending on how big you are, I would say you go get the cash with Dua Lipa and your little record can come out whenever. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, it depends I, I also, on who's calling. If Dua Lipa calls, then I'm sure your whether you know your manager and your agent and your label will all agree that that's probably a good idea. That that's just going to help you sell more records down the line if you get the credit with Dua Lipa. Is basically like my take on that. But I, I mean, I don't. Um, but that's Dua. Yeah, that's a, that's a one of one, baby. That's an exclusive. That's not. That's the Lipa. We don't that, we don't fuck with the Lipa. And <laughs> do you leap calls you come running exactly you run you sprint um why so what have you have you been working in quarantine do you find it like beneficial to your work or are you are you distracted yeah is this I, is this it kind of feels like this is the first time you've been able to like pump the brakes and and stop this crazy train that's been running for the last however many years yeah i mean i had a lot of resentment and anger at the top of quarantine because i felt like you know, especially in the entertainment industry, everyone was living in this space of denial that, like, anything was going on. They were like, work from home? Like, same as always. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, I would be people still trying to set meetings and coffees and all this other shit. Like, you know, the world wasn't burning around us and we weren't actively navigating a, a new reality inside of a dystopia. <laughs> um, uh -huh. uh, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Not answer any texts, not answer any calls, not answer any emails and just like watch anime and like read um, and let my brain like process the world around me. Um, but maybe just cry some days because uh -huh. I don't want to, I don't want to feel like it's business as usual. And I know for some other people, that's how they, that's business as usual was the only that's way. That's how you cope. Work. Yeah. That's um, me. Yeah. But I couldn't cope that way. So um, it wasn't until like a week and a half ago that I was able to really lean back into labor in the, in the normal sense. And that was because, um, and that was because I was, uh, the the first thing on my next list to check off is the dystopian romance I'm writing, this like sci-fi movie. And because my lived experience right now was so quickly aligning with the lived experience of the characters in that story, I was starting to think about it more. So I, got, I came back to work naturally. But I, I've been very much an advocate for like people not needing to like go back to work anytime soon. Um, because I think that this is, such a such a perspective shifting moment that we have to take note, you know. Mm -hmm. And I also I hate to be woo woo or whatever about it, but it does feel like something inside of our world was saying like slow down, stop. 
And I know some people felt like they were just going and they had been slowed down and stopped for a long time. So maybe this was the way of the, the world telling them to like start making more or start doing more. But I know that for me, the lesson I wanted to take from this moment was just like, take a second, stop. The world will be there like in a week, in two weeks, in a month, in a year. Um, and you don't have to be the most prolific human being in the world to have worth, um, mm-hmm. which is what I was worried about. And like, also, I, I think, and I think the only thing I had to learn inside of that was how to be more honest with both myself and the people around me. Um, because I think the easiest thing to, um, to cower to is the pressure that it can all go away. Oh, 100%. So, 100%. I think a lot of people are feeling that, especially when it, you're, like you said, like, you know, somebody else is writing the checks. Yeah. And I had been, I realized that, like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm someone who tends to be really honest, except for when I'm put in a corner, you know, or feel like someone doesn't want my honesty. And so, um, I was allowing myself to be like, oh, yeah, I'll get that to you next week, or I'll get it to you in two days. And, like, it wasn't coming out or coming to them in the right way. Um, because I was trying to be self-protective, you know? I mean, man, I feel like you're handling this a lot better than I am. That's all I have to say. (laughs) How are you handling it? Bro, I'm like, I'm I'm not losing it. I've actually handled it better than I thought I would, but I think that I'm just not a per... I don't like to slow down. That is not my DNA. Like, I'm, I'm... a very social person. I don't, I just, I've had a hard time with that aspect of it. Like I, I, I really miss the interaction. Um, and I don't know how it's, I, I'm not sure how it's benefiting me yet. Well, I, I think maybe a lot of that is because socializing and, and pushing on is your anti-drug as well. That, yeah, that's well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Does sobriety feel more difficult inside of quarantine? Because I feel like I'm really worried about my friends who generally have created a culture around going to AA and, being mm-hmm. in the social environment with other people that are sober or even sometimes people who aren't sober so they can just witness this thing. I think um, it's, I mean, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I think that it's just forced me to kind of, um, I definitely think about it more, which I don't think is bad. You know what I mean? I think it's nice to, I do think there's uh, a benefit to taking stock about whatever it is, even if it's difficult. Um, but I think I've been able to channel, I, I've been able to push myself like physically uh, with exercise. It's kind of been able to distract me a little bit, I think. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not, it's, it's, I mean, sitting around idle is definitely the time when you want to be smacked out on pills. I mean, you yeah. know, for, 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 for uh, the short, the short answer. Um, but I, I think that it is, a, I think there's a lot of relapsing happening right now, though, for sure, because people are yeah. just, just distraught and alone and don't know what to do. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, like if, 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 I mean, this is much bigger than that. You know, I think this thing is going to affect everyone differently. And, and um, uh, hopefully it's more positive than negative, which is hard to consider in the middle of it. Well, I think that my relapse has been just like um, relapsing into like um, sort of uh, a, a type of lethargy that. I haven't experienced since I was like 14 and unmedicated depressed, uh, unmedicated depressive. Yeah. Like, um, I just like, there, there, there was like a day where I spent literally four hours in my bed after waking up. And I was like, well, that's crazy. (laughs) 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 But again, I also think it's about like this moment's about radical acceptance and like allowing your brain and your body, no matter how, um, imbalanced certain parts of your chemistry are, to like find its own balance and find its new sense of self. Um, 
and again, to be honest with yourself about what what those things mean and what you need out of those things, you know. I, I mean, I, I just I just don't think we're as a culture used to this much idle time, you know, and and even the distractions that I like are boring now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, the, the stuff. I mean, we talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but too hot to handle the excellent Netflix show. Um, it's a horrible Netflix show. But it's an incredible. Know. It's an incredible Emmy Award winning television show. Um, but that kind of stuff. It's it's like I love shit like that, and I get high on it, and then it's over so fast. And because yeah. there's, it's like I focus, I hyper focus on it, watch it all, and then it's gone. Um, well, it's easier to to watch that one really fast because the show had like a chaotic sense of timing. Like one episode's thirty minutes, the next episode's forty seven. You're like. Not only do you not know what time or space you're in when you're watching the show, but the show doesn't know what time or space it wants to like <laughs> That's um, true. to occupy for its audience. Jason, um, did you watch it? I have not had a chance to catch it just yet, unfortunately. Well, um, Jeremy highly recommends it. I know, um, <laughs> and I, I don't. I don't want to speak for you, Jeremy, but you highly recommend it, and I also highly recommend it. Um, to me, that's what I think Netflix has been able to do, though. It's like that between that and Tiger King and a few other things, it's just perfect content for this moment. And I can't tell if they had it. I mean, they must have had it on deck and ready to go. And I, I just wonder what the release schedule was like and if it was moved around. My biggest thing with the Netflix content this time is that it does show that, like, people's energy around these things is in a really um, broken, depressive space. Mm. Because I thought that both. Tiger King and uh, Too Hot to Handle were two of the worst series that a network that is consistently put out <laughs> has put out. Have put out. But, but and, you like, watched, but you watched them both, didn't you? Yeah, because I wanted to be a part of the cultural conversation, and there was literally nothing else on. Jeremy, yeah, what I, are what are some trash ass shows that you do recommend and enjoy? Okay, so I so my friend Patrick Balaga recommended this like ridiculous anime to me called no game no life um okay. which is utter garbage like <laughs> you know when you can watch like you know some of the greatest animators and storytellers ever write things and um render them for you um and they're all at your disposal on crunchyroll and mm-hmm. um netflix and hulu there's no reason to watch no game no life except to like disassociate and um, sure. live inside of the brain of like a horny teenager, and um, no game of life is basically about um, a brother and a sister. He's eighteen, she's eleven, and they are the best gamers in the world. They where the entire world's rules um, are around games. But <coughs> the TV show is like 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 the show is super pedo. Like the main character. <laughs> Um, like wants to fuck his little sister and she wants to fuck him and they have like agoraphobia and like so they never leave the house and they're always together and sleep. This sounds like this sounds like Billie Eilish and her brother. I didn't know they made Eilish and her brother. Dog, I'm jacking off right now as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) So you're recommending anime to us. Yes. What about I some mean, non-animated? I saw that you were watching SNL from home. What do you think about that? Oh, I've been loving it. I think so. My big thing is that for theater makers, theater makers need to like wake up to the fact that like it cannot be business as usual for us. Mm-hmm. Because much like the anxiety I have 
or that every film like studio has about releasing films and who's going to even come to a theater when theaters are open again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that like, you know, theater makers need to be having that anxiety times 10 because people already didn't want to go see a play. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no yeah. I mean, like if, if like movie theaters were, were like, really taking a shit i mean theater really must be doing bad compared to you know yeah i mean like no the thing that the thing no i mean it's true i mean the thing is like most my mom would would risk going to the theater to see um black widow because my mom has this weird obsession with the marvel franchise um (laughs) as does my stepfather but my mom wouldn't risk going to see a play in a theater, even if I had written it. I know that for a fact. She already thinks it's, like, boring to be in a theater, that the seats are uncomfortable, and that um, it's too expensive. So um, I think that, like, Damn. the same— I hope you have a I good therapist. Other <laughs> <laughs> um, my therapist looked really anxious the last time I talked to them on the phone. So I'm like, I don't think I need to be talking to you right now. Do you um, think so it's because they, they're losing out on their check as well? No, I think that therapists generally, a lot of people who decide to do psychotherapy are a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, think, and I think that, like, I call my therapist in the middle of their own personal spiral. Mm. Um, but anyway. Did um, you send I them a Venmo request? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We'll call this one even. All right. I'll hit you back next week. <laughs> I should have. God. Uh, what's my rate? Um, but, no, but I think that. Um, Theaters are going to, it's going to take a really long time for theaters to get the green light to go back um, online. And I think that in the meantime, theaters should be looking at ways to digitize itself or to, to create the same experience, um, even if there's failure to do it, um, like online and so, or virtually. And what I like about SNL, especially watching the second episode, is that you saw that they like learned from their mistakes in the first episode and like there are a lot of mistakes in the first episode. Yeah. But those mistakes are so cool to watch. Like even Mm -hmm. them trying to see if like having people laugh over zoom during weekend update work, Mm -hmm. like definitely didn't, but, um, (laughs) but so so much like you going, you know, going to Chicago and having chances to fail publicly SNL was doing the same. Yes, yes. And I think that theaters should do that, too. Like, I think that instead of theaters trying to rush to announce fall seasons that probably won't happen, Mm -hmm. they should be rushing to figure out, like, how to do a play where Jake Gyllenhaal calls you at home and, like, reads a monologue to you in your ear. Mm -hmm. Wow. Don't give away all these secrets. Speaking of jerking off, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think... uh, Oh, my God. uh, are you he considering... was a producer on Slave Play, and I sent him the creepiest text the other day, and I felt really bad. Um, but I, was, I didn't know Gyllenhaal. I, I didn't know Gyllenhaal was involved. Yeah, he produced Slave Play, and he's he's been such a great champion for the play. Um, Love that. Love I, that. I, I mean, he's a real man of the arts. Song. He's a real man of the arts. He's a real patron of the arts. I mean, he is. I mean, the fact that he would produce another play on Broadway the same season he had a play up is like real patronage right there because um you know we were going to try to knock him out of the best play category and the best actor category and he didn't care he wanted to see the play you know damn damn what a what a selfless man real selfless but i do think he looks hot i think he looks hotter with shorter hair if i have to be honest well no so i was watching velvet gold (laughs) velvet buzzsaw and i was so attracted to him 
And so I texted her. I was like, oh, my God, you are so hot in Velvet Buzzsaw. Like, I'm so turned on right now. Or something like to that effect. Wait, that was the weird Netflix movie where he had those creepy eyes? Yes. Okay. And um, he didn't respond. He just um, hearted the text. Oh. You can't, like, cool, you can't heart cool, cool. that text. Yeah. That demands a response, I would say. Yeah. I, I, the whole purpose of that text is a response. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think I've been trying to get, see what team he's actually on since I saw Brokeback Mountain. And I, I've met his girlfriend, so I know he has one of those. Um, <laughs> but much like the two of you, I don't know. I think part of the reason <laughs> I'm so close to straight men is that I don't – I think that they know that I know that they're not all straight. <laughs> I like that approach. I like that approach. It's yeah. a, it's you, have, you have straight men in, like a, in a checkmate. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. it's like it's like we look at each other and we're like, we both know. Like huh. you've been socialized to like not, but like you kind of would, and the like kind of doesn't overcome your socialization. And I get that. Um, look, look, I don't, I don't go into the steam room with Equinox if that's what you're asking. <laughs> All right, you can just ask me, okay? <laughs> but just like, I mean. Like, no one's all the way gay. No one's all the way straight. Like, I really defy anyone to tell me that they truly are. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons I I have such close connections with you guys. Well, thank you. Makes sense. I think this is a a subject matter that you should explore more thoroughly in your work. I think I might. Because it is. It's got legs. Huh? It's got legs, I say. Well, I mean, I think I have an idea for a, for a play about some of my very close friendships. Because I do think that a lot of people, I mean, like, again, like, I think that once you are the thing, you are the thing. Like, you mm. said it, you live it, you experience it. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that, like, an ember of desire doesn't exist there, that, like, we still don't know what to navigate. Because I think that no one knows how to navigate deep intimacy. So, like, mm-hmm. there are times I've been friends with women, and I've been like, oh, I feel so good around you and everything about you. Should we just make out? Like, should we just... That's why, like, I don't judge those relationships where you're like, oh, that's obviously a gay man married to, a like, a straight woman. Or that's mm-hmm. obviously a lesbian married to a straight man. It's just like... Right. No, but, like, the embers of desires can, like, be exploded by one other person. So who knows? I've tried that line before in the past as well. It didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel really warm around you. I don't know. <laughs> I think that was the Molly, TJ. Um, <laughs> uh, well, Jeremy, are you planning to when, Are you going to come back to New York? What's your plan? I don't know. I mean, everyone keeps asking me that. My visa runs out soon, so I think that'll determine some things. Um, but, like, what are visas nowadays, you know? Exactly. I mean, I genuinely have a fear that – I've been watching the Trump, like, conversations every day or whatever. They're like the, – the Trump like diatribes daily. Yes, yes. And watching those from the UK makes me feel like I'm in 1920s America watching like or <laughs> speak and being like, wait, why is no one rioting in the streets? Like mm. something feels off. Um, and so I have this weird fear for what the next year under him would look like. And I kind of am just like, can I figure out a way to stay here and not have to deal with that? Well, I mean, if you're already there and you have no reason to come back, I'm sure it could be. I mean, what's the vibe over there, though? They're not giving out they're not giving out dates and stuff, are they? It's just kind of like we're doing this for now. Yeah, like I think that they're doing this for a good little while. Do you have a lot of friends there? Have you seen anybody? I don't hang out with anyone. We're not supposed to. But I get on the phone with people. So, like, you know, um, 
Like, this is like, um, the, the people that I know here are all people that I knew from, um, my early times in, uh, in like, like, you know, when I, when I was first meeting people and also some of my new friends I met on like the fashion circuit and like, because of Slave Play. So like, um, Gwendolyn Christie and I text a lot here. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, um, the, my friend Nimrod. Florence. I know. Oh, I, shout out to Nimrod, my king. Nimrod's amazing. Um, so it's been really nice to like be able to FaceTime with those folks and like check in. Um, but I've also been like living my Hikikomori life, you know, like which has been really nice to just like hang out inside, play Civilization, um, play The Sims, watch anime read books and not interact with anyone except for the delivery drivers have you been shopping online i have not been shopping online you've not copped any gear under core no i'm shocked no not one kimono not one kimono (laughs) matches matches matches.com has not even stopped at your flat once i'm bloody shocked (laughs) have you started smoking have you started smoking cigarettes or anything cool like that oh i smoke cigarettes all the time hell yeah yeah, <laughs> so I smoke cigarettes, and I've been doing a lot of shrooms in Quar. Oh. That's what I ordered online was um, I I asked my boyfriend to pick up shrooms for me in LA, and they got sent here. Um, wow. wow, I love this. So that's been my medicine in Quar. Are you are you exercising and showering and stuff? I'm sh- I shower every morning, and <laughs> I get dressed fully every day, um, mm-hmm. and. As far as exercise, um, I try. <laughs> okay, that's a so fair you, answer. You've been you've been pacing around the flat this whole podcast, haven't you? That's something. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. That's the that's most of my movement. It's like a good little pace. For you're getting your, you're getting your you're getting your steps in with these with these important calls. It's, it's exactly. I did discover that um, I've always thought I, I, I used to be. I'm, I'm pretty flexible, and I used to be really really skinny, and so I've never. Um, I'm still skinny, but I've never. Um, <laughs> Bitch, like, I'm still skinny. Don't get it twisted. Make no mistake. <laughs> no, but I, I've always just been like, oh, I could never have like a sort of like um, chesty body or like like abs. Like that's just not how my body functions. Because I would go to the gym like three times and it wouldn't happen. And I was like, okay, see, this is why it doesn't work. <laughs> and then I quit. Um, but I have been doing um, push-ups and um, bicycle crunches right before I go to bed. Mm. Yes. And I realized, like, after doing that for two weeks, that, like, that's all my body ever wanted me to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I should have just been doing this. This is so easy. Why do you do it before bed? That seems like an odd time. Um, because I do it as I watch my last episode of television. You stay up late as hell, don't you? Yeah, I stay up till like, 8 a.m. Oh my god, what a fucking lunatic. Who stays yeah. up that late? Yeah. Although I did shift it this week. I shifted it to wake up uh, to go to bed around 3 and wake up around uh 11. That's Ooh. that's more reasonable, I guess. I mean, are yeah. you are do you, you don't cook, do you? No. So this is what, this is what I'm saying. The only people I hang out with um are my neighbors who live right across the like I live in a muse, which is like an alley. Yeah. And so my my kitchen windows can look into someone else's kitchen windows. And there are these guys there um that work in the jewelry business. They're like very uncut gems. Mm. And um they're like young guys and we make dinner and make dinner together. So I bring over the wine, they make the dinner, and we watch a movie like every other night together. I love this. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And otherwise I just order food. What uh 
Oh, well, I mean, I, I'm glad that you can still get food delivered. It's a luxury. Yeah, it is. That's why I, if I, if I was, if I was buying clothes online and ordering food every day, I feel like I would run out of the money I've made this year. <laughs> but like, especially cause I'm trying to give so much of it away. Like I'm starting, um, this week I'm starting a, um, uh, a grant program for young playwrights where I'm going to give, um, basically all of the licensing money that like 80 grand or whatever, I'm going to give that all away to new playwrights who are affected by COVID. Um, because you know, it sucks. And like, I want people to feel like they, they can write or, um, even just pay their bills, um, and read for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to try to help everyone out with that. But if I'm gonna, if I want to do stuff like that, I can't go shopping. So. Wow, your priorities are much more in order than mine. Um, and I, I honestly love to fucking hear it. What an inspiration. I need to get my shit together. Um, well, Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. This was a blast. No, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Of course. And, and um, I hope to see you soon. I know. Well, I mean, are you in New York? You're in New York right now, right? I'm in Montreal. I'm going to go back to New York at some point, but unclear when. So, Okay. How did which, you get to stay in Montreal? I came here right before they shut everything down. Wow. Yeah. That's genius. They know, well, they know me here. In Canada, my name rings bells. So, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they, they say Big CB at the border, and they say, come on through, dog. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, wish I, had, I wish I had gone to Toronto. That seems like the right place to be. Yeah, I think Canada in general is the right place to be if you want to stay close to America but not have, like, lunatics running everything. You know, it's exactly. like that, that's kind of the vibe. Um, but anyway, thanks for joining us, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. Um, I actually learned a lot today of, of a lot of questions I've always had, but never <laughs> known anybody in the in the biz to answer. So I hope I hope everyone enjoys the education as much as I did. I know. I mean, I hope it's not utterly boring for them. Like, because like for me, yeah, theater is really dumb, but it's fun to like break <laughs> down the mysteries of it. No, it, it really is. It, I, it, it really is. And I agree. Thank you and for we're... giving us your exact dollar amounts for all of those plateau levels as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was yes, that exactly. was great. I love to hear. It. Well, yeah. I mean, again, like no one knows how much to ask for if no one's being transparent. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeremy, what's the, what's what's the first thing you're going to do once the once the quarantine gates are opened up? Um, I'm going to go to a Michelin star restaurant. That's all I miss is Ooh. eating at restaurants. Mm-hmm. So Michelin. Yeah, same. Uh, and where can they find you on uh, Instagram and Twitter and stuff? Um, I'm at Jeremy O'Harris everywhere, but follow me on TikTok. <laughs> That's my real love right now. Oh, Great. Okay. TikTok okay. is maybe the best social media since Tumblr. Damn. Ooh. You know what? You know what? I still update my Tumblr every day, so I might. I might. I love Tumblr. I miss it yeah. dearly. I mean, the I thing miss that it sucks is that there's. I mean, there's no porn on on there unless you're into watching like teenagers kind of like gesture towards porn. Yeah, it's um, over. Yeah, but otherwise, um, otherwise, it's it's just like Tumblr in the sense of like it's just as much chaos and um, interesting. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. All right, well, I'll go sign up just to follow you. Um, thank you, Jeremy. We'll talk to you soon. Be safe. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Later. Thank you.